Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 9. But before we uh, get into our text this morning, how many of you know John 3.16? Raise your hand. Let's say it all together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that? That God is not willing that any should perish? That our God wants to save people? And if you're here even this morning and you don't have a relationship with God, this would be the time to do it. We're in this book of Revelation. We're talking about end times, things to come, and we need to be prepared, but we need to know that we have a God that loves us, desires that all would come. That's the heart of our God. We sang that worship song, Love Vast as an Ocean. And you think about how great God's love is towards you. Just think about that for a moment. It's higher, it's deeper, it's wider. Think about the love of God that he has for you. His love has no limits. Pastor Kyle prayed in his prayer. His love has no limit towards you. And it's important for us as we go on through the book of Revelation. And even today we're going to be talking more about the judgments of God that are going to come upon this world during the tribulation period. It's important for you and I to know the love that God has for you and the love that God has for this world. We, and I've shared this verse in the past out of Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. It says, Alas, for the day is great, So that none is like it. And it is a time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. The tribulation period. The seven year period of time. That is still marked out for a future event. Is going to be a time of Jacob's trouble. It's going to be a time that this world has never seen before. We also read in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. A time of great tribulation. A time where God will be compelling Really, even through the judgments, people to turn in repentance to him. There will be people that will be saved during the tribulation. And then there will be those that will harden their hearts even further against God. And it's really one of two places that we're all in. Your heart is either soft towards God or it's hard towards God. Last Sunday, 
we looked at the first four trumpet judgments. Remember, throughout the seven-year tribulation period, there's going to be three sets of judgments that are going to come upon this earth, each one containing seven. And there's the seal judgments, and we started the trumpet judgments last week, and we're going to get into at a later time the bowl judgments, or the vile judgments it's referred to as also. But last Sunday we looked at these first four trumpets, which all of these judgments are directed towards mankind, they're directed towards this earth, directed towards God's creation, and these first four were directed at the earth. And where they were directed at the vegetation of the earth and upon the sea and upon the fresh water, upon the sun, the moon, and the stars. You see, God created it all. And God has His way with all of it. And God is going to use these judgments during this time against an unbelieving, ungodly world. A Christ-rejecting world. One-third of this earth's life-giving sources is going to be affected by these trumpet judgments. One-third. In these last three judgments that we're going to begin today, we're going to see that these judgments are directed towards those who dwell on the earth. We might call them the earth dwellers, which is those who do not know Christ during this time. Remember that these judgments, that they're meant to either turn man's heart towards him or harden his heart. Remember when I shared out of Ezekiel chapter 37. In chapter 38, there was a particular phrase that was used in Ezekiel that says, They shall know that I am the Lord God. They shall know. And you see, God is going to have His way. God wins and God always does. And God is going to intervene once again into the affairs of this world and bring about really out of it the salvation of many during that time, and he's also going to save a remnant of his people Israel according to his promises and covenants. It's been said that chapters 8 and 9 of the book of Revelation are two of the most difficult chapters in the book to interpret. Chapter 8, because of the magnitude of the events, and chapter 9, because it's dealing, I believe, with demonic forces. The unseen world. And both of these chapters, it's opened up debate. It's opened up speculation by many. All you have to do is, is start looking and you'll find many of interpretation when it comes to the book of Revelation. As I have continued to share with you, I'm a literalist. When I read my Bible and it doesn't give me 
an explanation of what I'm reading, then I'm going to take it for what it says. And I think that that's a good place to be. I also shared last week about the error of teaching speculation as truth. We need to be careful that we don't speculate about the things that we read about in the book of Revelation and then teach it as if it's truth. And there are a lot of teachers, I believe, that have done that. Four trumpets have been blown and three more are still to come. And these last three judgments that we're going to begin today, we won't look at all three, but in this first one, they are called the woe judgments. They are still the trumpet judgments, but at the beginning of each of these, there is a woe that is attached to that. Now here's my definition of a woe. A woe is something that's going to even get worse. When you hear it said, woe, it should be something that this world would sit up. And we should also, as Christians, sit up and take notice about what's going to come upon this earth. We're going to look at the first woe today in chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. And I believe that this chapter is describing, as we get into it, demonic locusts. Next week, we're going to look at the second woe in this chapter, verses 13 to 21, which I believe is a demonic army. We're going to read about the four angels that are bound at the river Euphrates, which I believe are demonic. We're going to read about a demonic army that is going to come upon this world. And then the third woe, and we won't get to that until chapter 10, verse 15, it's going to usher in or bring in the bold judgments, that next set of judgments that will even be worse, more terrifying upon this earth. And so we continue to move. Do you see why I started out today's message with, for God so loved the world? Because that always needs to be kept in mind that God loves His creation. God loves mankind. And and that's always what keeps all of this intention. Look at your Bibles, chapter 9, verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him... And I believe that's the star that we're talking about. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. John starts... By telling us that in this woe judgment, a star falls from heaven to earth. Now, the verb tense of the word here actually tells us that what John was seeing here 
was something that had already happened. This star had already fallen. It indicates that it was something that had already happened. John saw that this star had fallen from heaven. In other words, what John was seeing was after the fact. Stars in scripture can refer to a number of different things. It can refer to angels. It can refer to the natural stars that we see when we go out and look into the sky at night. In context, that's the only way we can determine which type of star we're talking about. We can also see stars as being symbolic in Scripture, and I believe it's symbolic in chapter 1, verse 16 of Revelation when we read about the seven stars that... I believe were angels or messengers that were in the right hand of the Lord, of Jesus. And I believe that these seven stars in that context, some say that they're angels. Others believe that they're the pastors of these seven churches. I see it that way, that these are the messengers of the pastors that these letters were being delivered to. But what's clear from our text is that this star is not a cosmic star that we're reading about here in this chapter. It's not a cosmic star that's falling down from our solar system, but it's a person. We read in verse 1, to him. And that him is referring to the star was given the key to the bottomless pit. It's also personalized in verse 2. And he opened the bottomless pit. We can also see from verses 1 and 2 that this star that had fallen is a star singular. And to the star or the angel, God will give the key, which is a way of saying that God is going to give the authority to this angel, to this star, this fallen star, to open the bottomless pit. To release what's inside of it. The locust-like creatures that are going to come up out of that pit, which I believe are demonic. They're going to be unleashed. They're going to be unlocked from a prison, so to speak. And they're going to come upon this earth. And I believe that they are demons, demonic in nature. In context, if the star of Revelation chapter 9 verse 1 is the same as the angel of Revelation and look at your Bible in verse 11. If it's the same as Revelation 9-11, then I believe that we're definitely talking here about an evil demonic angel. Because it says in 9-11 that this angel is a king, is a king, excuse me, over the locusts. And he also has a name, Abaddon, in Hebrew, or Apollyon in Greek, 
which both of those names mean destruction or destroyer, which makes it possible and very probable that this star is Satan himself. We also read, and we'll get to this chapter, in Revelation chapter 12, a possible connecting chapter to this, these verses that we're reading this morning, that Satan will be cast out of heaven and cast down to earth, as well as his angels. Look at your Bibles at Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse 7. We read, and war broke out in heaven. And we're told that Michael, now the Michael here is Michael the archangel, and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. So there's this war, this battle, so to speak, that breaks out in heaven. But it were told, but they did not prevail. In other words, the angels, the dragon and his angels, they did not prevail. And then it says this, nor was a place found for them in heaven. And notice what it says, any longer. That there was going to come a time. Now, where is Satan now? Satan has the ability to move around. He's not locked into the bottomless pit as many demons are. And not all demons are. But he has access to move around. And many demons do have access to move around. But in this particular chapter, we learn that Satan, the dragon, and his angels are going to be cast out. And they're no longer now going to have access into heaven any longer. And so the great dragon, verse 9, was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, notice, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night, has been cast down. He's the one that goes and accuses you before God. Could you really be able to look at your life? Look at you. And he accuses you before God. And God says, this is a child of God. He's one of mine. I'm putting words into his mouth, but that's the way I would say it. He's one of mine. He's been cast down. And then in verse 11 it says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore, rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath. Why? Because he knows that he has a short time. Great wrath. I've got to finish and finish off as many as I can. I need to deceive as many as I can. 
because I have a short time. You see, even the devil himself knows the Bible. The devil himself, though he might deceive himself, knows that he has but a short time. In verse 1, back in our text, this star that had fallen to earth was given the key to the bottomless pit. The words bottomless pit that we read about is the Greek word abyss. And it's found actually only here in the book of Revelation. The word is described as the pit or a place of unmeasurable depth is how the word abyss is described. It's the invisible underworld that we're talking about. It's the lower regions of the earth. It's the abode of the lost. And many people believe, many commentators believe, that the abyss is actually in the center of the earth. The abyss, the bottomless pit, as it's referred to. We know that the abyss is a place that demons don't even want to go to. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 8, verse 30, remember when Jesus spoke to the demon-possessed man uh, that was in the country of the Gadarenes? And Jesus asked him, this demon-possessed man, what is your name? And the demon-possessed man said, my name is Legion. Because many demons had entered him. And they, speaking of these demons that were in this man, were told that they begged Jesus that he would not command them to go out of the man into the abyss. And uh, we know the story. He, they went into the swine that ran down into the sea and were drowned. They didn't even want to go to the abyss. These were the ones that were out and able to roam. We know that some of the demons have been locked away by God for this day. We read in Jude chapter uh, Jude 1, uh, verse 6 and 7, And the angels, and this is speaking, I believe, of fallen angels, who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, that he, speaking of God, has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. And so I believe that there are some demons, and we might call these the, the real bad ones, the one that God want, sought to chain and to put into this abyss for a period of time, for that time when they would be released in the day of judgment. We also need to know that demons are fallen angels. In their creation, they weren't demons. God didn't create demons. God created angels that raised up with pride, Satan being the, the main leader of them, 
and they became demons. We read in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. That was his name before the devil, before Satan. One of God's highest created ranking angels, Lucifer. Son of mourning, he's referred to as. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, this is Lucifer, now Satan. You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Do you hear all those I wills? That's what was brewing in really the heart and mind of Lucifer when he was cast down. And we know that a third of the angels, according to Revelation chapter 12, it appears that a third of the angels became demons and they left their habitation and followed after Satan. We also read in 2 Peter 2.4 that God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And so we already know the end. We've already been told the end. We know what the end of the devil is going to be. We know what the end of all the demons are going to be. They're going to be in that final place that God has prepared. Here's some other truths about the final destination of Satan. All of the demons, false prophet, the Antichrist, and all those who have rejected Christ, they're not, their final destination is not going to be the bottomless pit. Their final destination is going to be cast into the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone. That will be the final place for those who have rejected Christ, the devil, the antichrist, the false prophet, and all of them in God's timing. Look at your Bibles, chapter 9, verse 2. And when the angel opened the bottomless pit, We're told that when he opened this bottomless pit, that smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. This is what John is seeing as the Lord is revealing this to him. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. And to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Again, I'm a literalist. I'm reading my Bible. I'm reading these verses. And what John is seeing, I believe, is what will transpire during this woe judgment that is going to come upon this earth. But after the bottomless pit is opened, 
And this smoke comes forth out of it. Out of the smoke that is going up into the sky, John sees these creatures that begin to swarm the earth like locusts. Coming out of the bottomless pit that is currently locked. These demons that are in chains of darkness now will be released. We're told that these locusts were given power. And and notice that they are given power. They don't have the power, but they've been given the power. Not by Satan, by the way, but by God himself. They have power. You see, Satan and all demons are limited. They're not omniscient. They're not all-knowing. They don't, they're, they're not like God. They're not a match for God. They've been given power. And they've only been given power by God to do what he allows them to do. That's important to note. You see, Satan himself can only do what God allows him to do or what God wants to use him for. It's been said that God keeps Satan on a short leash. And he does. And aren't you glad? Because he wants to destroy, to kill and to rob and destroy everything. And he does good of it now. He does a lot of it now. But he doesn't have control over you. He can't kill you as a child of God. He can't possess you as a child of God. And it's important for us to know that this battle that went on in heaven, that goes on in heaven... It's not God and Satan like it's some match between the two. God always wins. Satan won't win. It's not like they're going to go to battle and we're going to see who's going to win and we're all sitting down here. I hope God wins. God will win. God is always victorious. And by the way, you also are always victorious through Jesus Christ. We read in, or we already read in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, that the Antichrist himself was given a crown. He was given a crown. And in Revelation 6, 4, we read about the fiery horse. And it is said of him that he was granted by God to take peace from the earth. And so, who's in control? God's in control of all of these things. Even the demonic world. We're told that the locusts are given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. How powerful is Satan? Well, A lot more powerful than we are in our flesh. In Jesus Christ, we are victorious. But he's powerful. And he's also crafty. We notice that? 
Have you noticed how crafty and deceptive Satan is? And how often he deceives you into thinking that you're all right and really you're not. And you can venture off into this and be okay, but you really won't be. You see, he can trip us up. He is powerful. He is evil. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy marriages. He wants to destroy everything that is good. He prowls around as a roaring lion seeking whom he he may devour. And I don't know if you have that visual in your mind every day when you get up out of bed, but maybe we should. We have an adversary, the devil, who roams around, prowls around every single day. If it probably not Satan, because again, Satan's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He can be in one locale or possessing one person. That's it. But there's a whole host of demonic activity that is in our world. We need to be careful as Christians that we are aware of the tactics of our enemy. Jesus likens serpents and scorpions as representatives of the power of evil. We read in Luke's gospel in chapter 10 verse 17 when the 70 disciples had returned to Jesus with joy. We're told that they came saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us and to your name. They were rejoicing in that. Even the demons. And Jesus said to them, to the 70, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means you. You see what power and authority that God is able to give to his servants, to us? How much power do you have in the Lord, in the name of the Lord? You have more power to withstand and to come up against our foe, our enemy, because of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 4. John gives a description of these locusts. And by the way, these are not normal locusts. We read, they, speaking of these locusts, were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority, notice that, they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Now, that's very specific, isn't it? Five months. I'm a literalist. Very specific. Jewish calendar, 150 days. For five months to torment, but not to kill 
very specific. We also know that when we read in Revelation 7 about the 144,000, these were Jewish evangelists, we might call them. They were sealed by God, protected by God. And here we read, but do not harm those that are, have the seal of God on their foreheads. We're told that they were given no authority to kill, but only to torment. What I can see when I'm reading even in these judgments that are coming down upon this earth, in one hand, I, I see the terror and the fear and the, the things that are coming down, but I also see the mercy of God. Why would God do this to this extreme? Why would he be so relentless towards mankind and the evil that's in this world? Because he's a merciful God. Because he's not willing that any would perish. And it's why when we read, when John saw that multitude which no one could number, they were standing with white linen, palm branches in their hands. We say, that's a merciful God. They torment. They don't kill, but they have the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. I, I had to look up, what is a, anybody ever been stung by a scorpion? Ooh, couple, okay, we'll talk to you later about that. Scorpion, stung by a scorpion. Now, all I can gather from what I read is that there's a mild side that a person can feel some painful, tingling, burning, numbing sensation. There's the severe symptoms by other types that can include widespread numbness, difficulty swallowing, a thick tongue, blurred vision, roving eye movement, seizures, difficulty breathing, and even death. I do, oh, the, only, the only thing I ever know about a scorpion is the one that fell in my pool back in California. This is what I know about these ugly creatures that I call. This thing fell in our swimming pool and I scooped it off the bottom of our swimming pool with a net. I thought, man, this is cool. I'll be able to freak my girls out with it. So I take this thing and put it in a glass jar. Didn't poke any holes in it because it was dead. Just laid there in the bottom of this glass jar. And not only did it lay there, it laid there for like a week. And one day I walked in the kitchen. I had it sitting right on the counter in our kitchen. I walked into the kitchen and that thing is up and moving in the jar. You're kidding me. That thing wasn't dead. When I pulled it out of there, it was lifeless. And it laid in that jar for days, lifeless. Remember that, Heather? And then the thing's crawling around in that jar. Ugly. Scorpions. Anyway, I had to tell you that story. But we t what we read on in verse 6, that in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. You see, you won't be able to kill 
but you'll be able to torment for five months. And I, and I think that the torment, mentally, physically, painfully, whatever that looks like, is going to be great enough that people are even going to seek to want to die, commit suicide. And in some way that God could only do, he keeps man from being able to take his life. Death will flee from them. Up to this point, John has only told us that the locusts have come out of the smoke upon the earth with tails that sting like a scorpion. But then he begins to describe what he saw and what he heard. The shape, we read in verse 7, the shape of the locusts are like. Now I want you to notice the word like. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. The prophet Joel, I believe, speaking of this day, he prophesied in Joel 2.4, their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like swift steeds, so they run. In Joel uh, chapter 2, verse 6, We read, before them, the people wreathe in pain. All faces are drained of color. That, to me, is fear. And I think I would be, too. We're told, and we're not told, excuse me, the size of these locusts. But just looking at locusts and everyday locusts, I found out they can be anywhere from a half inch up to seven inches in size. John says that what he saw is that these, uh, they appeared like horses. Now, a horse is not, you know, half inch or seven inch, but these are uh, something of size, which is even more frightening when you think about it. Like horses. And on their head were crowns of something like gold. Like gold. Doesn't say it was gold, but like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. That is getting creepy. You think about that. The faces of men. In other words, is that speaking of maybe the intelligence even that they have? The faces of men. They had hair like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth very precise and kind of descriptive of what these things look like we're not even told that they used their teeth to inflict the pain Because it seems like the the affliction is from the sting in their tails. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings, John heard something. 
The sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. And I have read and heard that if you ever hear a swarm of locusts coming, it's not quiet. You hear them coming. And what's interesting about the breastplate that we read here, that in the Greek, we get our English word thorax. You know what a thorax is and a bug? A breastplate consisting of two parts protecting the body on both sides from the neck to the middle. These are ugly creatures. They had wings that sounded like many chariots, many horses running into battle. In the book of Joel, back in Joel 2.5, we read, With a noise like chariots over mountaintops they leap, like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. They had tails, verse 10, like scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. These are not common locusts, are they? I mean, I mean, I don't know if you've ever <clears throat> had any of these flying around your yard like this. But if you do, don't invite me over. I don't want to come over. These are not your normal, everyday locusts. I see them as being demonic. We can read in Job 1.11 about the dialogue that God had with Satan. Remember that? Satan says to God, stretch out your hand, God, and touch all that Job has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. All that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. You see the limits that God puts upon Satan? He's mine. You can strip him of all that you want. But don't lay a hand on him. He's mine. That's what God does with you and me. If you think that John's description of these locusts is bizarre and the way that he describes these locusts, I looked up and looked up a description of somebody describing an insect. Let's see if you can tell me what this insect is. The creature had four wings each of which was covered with something like 250,000 scales and a tripartite body with a head, <clears throat> as it were, <clears throat> excuse me, with, with 6,000 eyes, two long hair-like whips extended from its head, with which it guided itself over immense distances. 
Its tongue was like a fire hose and one-fourth the length of its body, and it pranced upon six legs, the forelegs of which terminated in six needle-like spears. Anyone have a clue what kind of bug we're describing there? Nobody? Raise your hand if you do. What is it? Okay, let's put the picture up. That was a person's descriptive way of describing a monarch butterfly. John had his way of describing what he saw, what he heard. One commentator wrote this. The text compares these creatures to locusts. Since most of us have probably never studied the appearance and capabilities of even a household spider in detail, let us take John's description seriously, knowing that God's severe judgment at the time of the end will certainly call for such a devilish reality What God says is plain enough. He does not ask us to understand it. He asks us to believe it. And this, by God's help, we mean to do. When I read my Bible, and I think when you read your Bible, I don't always understand everything. I can't work it out in my head exactly how that's going to look. But just because I can't work it out in my head, of what it, does that mean? Well, I, I have a hard time believing that. Or I want to try to start putting something natural upon it. I've got another picture up here. I mentioned this last week. Well, that's might be, don't take my word on that that's what it looks like, but that is more demonic than a mere locust, isn't it? If that's what John is seeing, he's seeing something of a demonic. We got another picture there that some have attributed to this chapter. Can you see that? It's not this, is what I wrote on there. It's not this. You notice what it's saying about this what we'll call an Apache helicopter. People have wanted to attribute what we're reading about here as, well, that sounds like an Apache helicopter. The only problem I have with that is how many Apache helicopters are going to take to go over the whole world and be killing people with their gun off the back or tormenting people with it. And so it's not this. And so what is it? Well, when I read my Bible, I just read it for what it says. And to me, it's of a demonic nature that is going to come upon this world. It's why I believe we're calling it, and why God called it, excuse me, one of the woes. Verse 11, And they, speaking about these demonic locusts, 
they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. So the locusts have a king over them who's the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. We're told that these demons, in essence, are in submission to their king. Their king had the authority that was given to him. And so what we see and what it appears here is that there is at least, and I believe we could find other scriptures to support this, a ranking within the demonic world. There's a a ranking within these demons. But we read in Proverbs 30, verse 27, an interesting verse, because it says, the locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. They still have a leader. And in this particular case, as natural locusts have no king, They just all do their own thing. This appears to have a king over them that is leading. The ranking that is there. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, he said this in chapter 6, verse 10. This is the Tuesday night men's Bible study memory verse. So men, Tuesday night, quote it with me. Finally, my brother, verse 10. I'm not hearing anybody. (laughs) Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his mind. That's Paul's exhortation to all of us. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He doesn't say be strong in yourself, but be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then he goes on to say, put on the whole armor of God, Christians. I added that. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Listen to this list. Here's your battle, church. Here's our battle, church. You do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Your battle is not with each other. When you get into conflicts with each other, when you get into conflicts in life, your real battle is not with flesh and blood. Your real battle is against the wiles of the devil. And in that, we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts, of wickedness in heavenly places, you have a real battle that is raging around you every single day. Every time you get out of bed and you set out on your day, 
you've entered a battlefield. But greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? And so you can get up and not be running in fear, but standing in what you have as Christians. You don't need to be afraid of anything that we're reading about here in Revelation chapter 9, nor in any of it going forward in these judgments upon this earth. You don't have to be fearful of that. Because I believe the church age Christians will be removed. We will not be here during this time. But God is going to get the attention of this world. God is going to fulfill what he said here in the book of Revelation. He is going to fulfill it to the very T of what we're reading. Exactly the way we're reading it here. And that day is still future, yet that day is coming. And it should compel us as Christians to not only be holy, 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 to live for the Lord, to live in expectancy of Christ's return, but it should compel us to want to pray harder, to witness more, to serve even each other more, to give of our lives for people that don't know Christ, that they might come to know Him. To go that extra step. To run hard in your race. To don't give up. Those are the days that we're in. Look how our text finishes today, verse 12. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these. That should cause a little bit of like, oh. See why it's called a woe? Woe. I want to keep reminding us about God's mercy. Let's have the worship team come up. I want to keep reminding us about the mercy of God. So that you always keep in check how loving and how merciful God is towards mankind. This is not a, a, some kind of a game that God is playing with mankind. This is God fulfilling what he and his justice and his righteousness, what he is going to accomplish in mankind. And I'll, I will tell you that mercy is even at the forefront of all of this. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, as I said in the beginning, even if you think you're a Christian, but you're not born again, you don't know the Lord, make sure, come up and talk to me. I'll go to the back of the end, come over to me and just tell me, hey, I want to pray to receive Christ. I want to make sure that I know the Lord. If you're here and you're not right in your heart, you need to get things right in repentance, and I would suggest you come up here and stand before the Lord, not me. Stand before the Lord. Kneel before the Lord and get your heart right. I believe these things are coming. And I believe that we're closer today than when you first believed. And so we need to be preparing ourselves for the day that you're going to stand before the Lord. So if you're in need of prayer, we're going to have some people standing up here also that come up and pray. Say, hey, I need some prayer. I'm struggling in this area. 
I'm having a difficult time. I feel like I'm in bondage to this. I need to be set free. Come up for prayer. Ask. You have not because you ask not. And if you really want deliverance from those things, then sometimes God says you need to get up. You need to get out of your seat and you need to say, would you pray for me? Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Ask God to change you and do something in you. And God will do it. I'll guarantee you that. And so, Father, we just thank you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for those that are sitting here today that have heard this message. Lord, let it compel us to do something with it. And even though, Lord, we're not preparing to go through the tribulation period, we're preparing to meet you, to stand face to face with you. And Lord, would you speak into our hearts? Would you convict us in those areas that need conviction? Lord, would you unveil the blinded eyes, if there's any blinded eyes here that don't know you, that they might see their need for you, that you might save. Lord, and we thank you for the mercy and the love of God. Pray that you would fill us afresh this morning with your Holy Spirit. Go before us this week. Let us be serious and watchful in our prayers. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.